I, I was kind of thinking, oh man, I have so much to tell. I have so much to testify about the last several months, all that God has been doing in my life, but actually something just happened this last Tuesday that I'd like to testify about. Um, I work for Instacart. I deliver groceries, and so I'm driving a lot downtown and around the city, and Tuesday I got really frustrated because there wasn't an easy way around. Needless to say, there was the taste getting started, streets were closed, traffic was bad, and my GPS told me to turn right last second, so I'm trying to turn right from a middle lane, and the guy next to me was going to let me, so I, was, I thought, this is totally cool, this is kosher, I can do this, and as soon as I turned right, a cop pulled me over. Um, he didn't have any grace on me. <laughs> he said, he gave me a, a very stern warning, and and uh, gave me a $120 ticket. I was really stressed because I, w I had to cancel my work shift and I didn't know that it, I, I had never done the emergency end on my shift before, so I didn't know what that would do. They canceled all my hours for the day and I didn't know if I could get any hours back. So I was just praying and asking, Lord, how am I gonna pay this $120 ticket? Um, I, I was just crying and asking the Lord how, how I was going to do it, how, how the money situation was going to work out. So a few hours had passed, and I wanted to share what I said on Facebook, just briefly, and how much time passed between my two posts. So one moment, I said, man, I want to contest this ticket, and I talked about how frustrated I was. And that was Tuesday, June 8th at 3.04 p.m. At 3.47 p.m., I said, okay, so I won't worry about the ticket. I know now the Lord is providing for me. He was testing my faith. And I said, even though I'm still crying, <laughs> now that I had a few hours to chill, I can look back on the day in joy. I reached out to an old friend and mentor, and I was encouraged. And because of the conversation we had, I have been interceding for the city and for the church. And I just thought, wow, even though we experience trials and tribulations in this earth or we're stressed in ways or we don't see a way out of a situation, God can still use it. So I, I was really blessed to turn on some Christian music and I heard oceans and I was just like, wow, God, you're testing my faith. Thank you. And then I heard another song, a new rap song on SoundCloud and that was even more encouraging because he said in his lyrics, think about what God has done in the past for you. If you remember what he's done for you in the past, how he saved you from the beginning, he can still he can still save you in whatever situation you're in. I wanted to share this verse from James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. And this section is called Testing of Your Faith. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <clears throat> For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I just want to encourage all of you this morning that it doesn't matter what we see with our eyes. If we're looking in faith, if we're seeing with faith, it doesn't matter what things look like around us because God is going to make a way out for us if we trust him. Lord, 
I just pray you'd bless everyone this morning and serve us with that knowledge and that peace in their hearts that if they're continuing to trust in you and lean on you in all circumstances, you'll bring them through it. It doesn't matter how they might feel right now. I just pray you'd give them a peace, Holy Spirit. Welcome us into your into your throne room this morning, Lord, as we begin to worship you. And we just want to glorify and praise, praise you this morning. Thank you. Hallelujah. How many of you guys are free this morning? Who's free in this place? Come on, I want to invite you to do something a little bit different. I want to invite you to come up to the altar really quick. Come on, let's just come up. Let's come up. This is a place where we're free. We're ready to worship God. Let's just close our eyes right now and let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you were free, God. We thank you, Lord, that we can't just give you an all, Father God, this afternoon. We don't have to hold back our praise. We don't have to hold back our shouts. We don't have to hold back the joy, God, that is in our hearts, God. Right now, we just lift up our hands. We lift up our voice. We lift our praise to you, God, because you're worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're good, Lord. You're faithful, God. You are kind in all your ways. Can you just thank him for one thing this morning, this afternoon, as before we sing, just say, God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for life, God. Thank you, Lord, that we can lift our praise to you. In Jesus' name. Come on, say, I'm chosen. I am chosen. I am free. I am living for eternity. Free now forever.
just on life group night, God, every single day. God, we want to wake up, God, and breathe you in. We want to lay our head down and say thank you, Jesus, for today. We want to be so close to you. Come on, if that's your heart cry, can you just say that with me? Say, Jesus, be the center of my life. Come on, say that again with me. Say, Jesus, be the center of my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Say this with me. Say, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Say, Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you.
want it to be all about you, God. Come on, come from my heart. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. Oh, it's all about you, Jesus. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. If you want that for your life, just raise your hands with me and say that from my heart. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all with all your heart, with all your soul. From my heart to the heavens, that's what we want, Jesus. For you to be the center. Yes, it's all about One more time. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about Yes, Lord. Come on right now. We lay it all down, Jesus. Our families, our lives, Father, our struggles, God, our jobs, everything, our children, they belong to you. Come on, just start laying it all down to him right now. God, we belong to you, Jesus. Our careers, our futures, Lord. Our fears, God, they are yours, God. We belong to you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Be the center of my life. Be the center of my mind. Be the center of my emotions, Jesus. You are all I need, God. You are all we need. You are all we need, Jesus. Come on, keep lifting up your voice. Jesus is here in this place. The Holy Spirit is here in this place. Shara makira masona makira makera maso. Shara makira makura masera makara mase. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we want you. Holy Spirit, we want to hear your voice. Sitara makura masera makira mama maso. Every idol, every hindrance in our lives. God, we cast it aside right now. We place you at the center. We place you on the throne of our hearts. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit right now, can you just start speaking in tongues right now with me? We want to have ears to hear what you're saying, Holy Spirit. Sena makira masona makira makira base. So torabaki, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, speak to every heart in this room. Speak to every heart in this place. We'd want you, God. Shera baki terabaso karabasi terebaso. Every idol, everything that you're putting up in Jesus's place right now is your opportunity to lay it down. To lay it down before him. Come on, there's people in this room that you have an idol. And an idol is something that you place before God. You have an idol in your life right now. And it's taking the place of Jesus. And he's saying, put me 
at the center of your life. Put me on the throne of your life right now. Put me on the throne of your heart. Come on, and everything falls into place when we put Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Come on, you've been trying to fix it by yourself. You've been trying to juggle the pieces of your life. And he's saying, let go and let me be the center of it. Come on, stop juggling your life this afternoon and give it to Jesus. He says, cast your yoke upon me. He says, put your burden on me. Come on, he says, trust me and I'll never leave you, never forsake you. If that's you, if that's you this afternoon and you got to lay it down to Jesus, right now is your opportunity. Come on, just put your hand on your heart. And if you know that that's you, there's an idol in your life, just say right now before Jesus, say, God, I lay this down before you right now. I surrender this to you right now, Jesus. Come on, your words, your words right now. I surrender, blink, to you right now, Jesus. Jesus, just one more time. Say, from my heart to the head, Jesus be the welcome you in this place and right now we open up this time right now for you Holy Spirit to speak to your people and if you believe that you have a word in this place we open up this time for that to come forth Jesus, you are worthy, God. 
Before we go any further, I'd like to dismiss our kids, if we have any here in the sanctuary, to King's Kids. And so you'll have a fun time of uh, just learning about the Bible and learning about Jesus. Amen. All right. All right. I'd like to welcome you all this afternoon to Metro Praise if you're coming in uh, just now. My name is Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. And uh, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to preach the gospel to you if I can. So um, if you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it's on the big screen. So 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Hallelujah. Um, I'd like to start off by saying that um, my wife and I, we, we were on vacation in Arizona for about a week. And um, while we were there, we were watching, we suddenly got hooked onto the show on Food Network called Restaurant Impossible. And um, basically, if you've never seen the show, it's, it's about this guy, he's a renowned chef named uh, Robert Irvin, and he's pretty much like a fixer. So he goes into these restaurants across America, they call him and they want to get his expertise on how to fix their failing business. I mean, these restaurants are absolutely like in the dumps, they are failing, they, the food is bad, the service is bad, the decorations in the restaurant are horrible. And so he's brought in to, to basically just perform a miracle in this restaurant, to fix it up. And so he's given two days to work his magic and just go in and, and just fix everything up. And the way he does it is he, he talks with the staff, he talks with the, the servers, he, he gets to the bottom of what's going on, to the problem of the matter of why is this business failing? And then after he, after he coaches the cooks, the staff, and everything, he works on the decor and the restaurant, and he basically just cleans everything out. And then after, on the second day, the restaurant is reopened, and the place looks brand new. The chefs, the staff, they're, they're taught well, they're coached well, and they basically have a new menu. And the restaurant is just brand new, and all the people come in, and then they start eating the food, and they're saying, oh, this, this place is wonderful. It's not like it was before. You know, before it was just old. It was, it was, the food was disgusting. You know, the decor looked like something my grandma had in her house. And everything is just made new. And after watching a couple of episodes, I came to this revelation. We're like a restaurant. You know, our lives are like a restaurant in the sense that we don't deal with, you know, failing business or, um, or the mess that we deal with is, has nothing to do with financial or like or what's on the menu, but what we have in our lives, the things that the mess that we deal with is sin. And rather than having someone like a Robert Irvin come in and fix that mess, God sent His Son, 
Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He is the one that cleans up all of the mess that's in our life, all the sin. He forgave us of our sins. And the way he did it was he sent his son Jesus and he allowed him to die on the cross that his blood would be shed for our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, and that we would be forgiven. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in there. If anyone is in Christ, meaning if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if, you're li- if you are in Christ, the new creation, your new life, has come like a resurrected restaurant and the old is gone. The dinginess, the dirtiness, that's gone. And uh, going back to the show, one thing that I noticed um, with, uh, with Robert Irvin is as he talks with the staff, I noticed that sometimes the people, the servers, the, the, the owners, they give him attitude. He tells them what's wrong with the business, saying the food is horrible, but they're like, what are you talking about? It's, ju- it's fine just the way it is. I like it. <laughs> I think the food tastes good. There's nothing wrong with the decor. And I think sometimes we can approach sin the same way. We have, we have so much pride in our lives where, oh, yeah, you know what? I, so what? I'm an alcoholic. I might have a drink or two. I get wasted, but I'm not hurting anybody. Or, yeah, I do drugs. I smoke pot, but it's okay with me. I just have to say right now that you could be fine with all of that. You could be fine with the way that you're living now, but it's going to come to a stop, a screeching halt. And then when it's all said and done, we have to give an account of how we live this life on earth. Because that's what the Bible tells us, that we are to give an account to the one who has the power to send us to heaven and to hell. And so I encourage you today that if you're in this place right now, and if you've never heard the gospel, or if you never heard the name Jesus before, now is your opportunity to get right with God, to prevent yourself from going to hell. And if you're here and you proclaim that you are a Christian, but you haven't been living right, you've been compromising, today is a new day. This moment is for you to get your life right with God. And so don't waste that opportunity. You know, the Bible tells us that tomorrow is never guaranteed. So I encourage you right now, take that time right now. Meet Jesus. He's here for you. He died for you. He forgave you of your sins. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray, and um, I'm going to have some prayer workers off to my right, uh, Jerry and, and Ricky. And if this word resonated in your heart at all, they're here for you, for you to pray with. And so I'm going to pray right now. Father God, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he gave us life for our sins. May we be constantly reminded of that sacrifice. And I pray if there's anyone here today that they would not leave this church without hearing the good news and that they would not leave without accepting you as their personal Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for who you are and everything that you do in our lives. In your holy name, amen. All right. Yes. All right, I'm going to have everybody stand up. Uh, what we're going to do now is we are going to recite our confession of faith. And this is a creed that we hold to as a church, as well as every uh, brother and sister and believer that's in Christ. So on the count of three, we're going to recite this together. Ready? One, two, 
3. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, take some time right now to have to fellowship with one another. Say hi. Who's excited to be at church this morning? Come on. Thank you. You're clapping it up. Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to Metro Praise International. It's so wonderful to see all of your beautiful faces. Let's do something different today. Can we all just come up to the front two rows here? Just move it all up. One big happy family. Let's get to love on each other. Be close as we preach the gospel. Come on. We welcome you to Metro Praise. As if, if this is your first time, please join us again. We welcome you back uh, for next week and to get plugged into what we're doing here. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate. Those that, at 7 p.m., that's for ages 11 to 18 years old. So we're just so excited about what God is doing in that service and the young people. Our summer retreat is right around the corner. Come on, let's get excited. We're ready to get away, get out of the city, go get some fresh air. We're so pumped, but we want to remind you today is the last day to pay and register. So we want you guys to do it. It's July 31st, August 1st, a Friday and Saturday. We're going to have so much fun. And um, check out the website, register now. 
and today's the last day, so we look forward to seeing you guys when we all get there, okay? And of course, in between that time. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God, loving people. Two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. We, wanna, we strive to live the way God has called us to live. Love uh, in our heart for God and man. Our discipleship strategy here is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. The way we want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus, is through our life groups. On the back of your handout, we have a list of life groups that are available for you and your family to get plugged in, to get connected. So join one of them. Find the times, the places, the type of life group that meets your needs. And here's a snapshot of what's happening just this week here at MPI. Starting today, we have our single men and women kicking it off ages 18 to 35 years old. They're meeting here at the church. Yes, make some noise, single ladies. 4 p.m. Sunday Marriage Life Group is meeting. Come on with Ricky and Rachel at their house. They're having date nights, so they're going out. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. They're meeting at 5.30. Child care is available. Um, if you have any questions about that, see Rachel. She was playing the keys up there. Wednesday, we have the Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. That's what I like to hear. Every Wednesday, we have our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old. Parents drop them off at 6.30. We have Boys Club, for uh, Royal Rangers for Boys, Impact Girls Club. It's a ton of fun. Then Friday, we have the Govea's Bible Study, as well as the Walker's Bible Study for 18 years and up, 7 p.m. If you're an adult, you have got to be in these life groups on Fridays. That is where you stay connected, build lasting friendships, relationships. It's an awesome thing to be a part of a church family and have real friendships. If you keep it real, people will keep it real. So we open up our arms to you. That's where you want to be. You want to be in those Bible studies, getting into the Word of God. And then Saturday we have, a, oh, did I miss one? No, Saturday our evangelism meets here at the church, 5 p.m. We hit the streets. All ages are welcome. If you've never done it, we encourage you to do it. Preaching the gospel on the streets is a powerful thing. It builds you up. It strengthens you. And then Saturday, the ambassadors elevate life group, 11 to 18 years old, meeting at the church at 6 p.m. Come on. And then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. When you graduate the 101, this is done one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. The 101 is done one-on-one. -on -one awesome time when you graduate this you get into our 201 class it's called disciples that make disciples so this is where we train you we equip you to be a leader among leaders to one day be an elder or deacon in the house of god because if you see everything you know all the people around us see this service we want to fill this up we need leaders the bible says pray for leaders to be raised up to go into the harvest so the people out there that don't know god they're ready it's ripe. We need leaders to be made so we can win the loss for Jesus. And then we want to send you out to keep getting more because it's not just about us. It's about a world that's dying without Jesus. And so we want to raise up disciples that will make other disciples. And that is our strategy. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches in the city and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it and you want to be a part of it, say amen. I know I want to be a part of it. We started this 10 years ago. And that slide has never changed. The vision, the discipleship strategy, and the goal has always been the same. And we will do it faithfully unto the Lord until he comes back because our city needs it and the nations need it. Amen. At this time, we're going to get into our lesson for offerings. This is a last lesson in section two of the Disciples Giving book, which was all about offerings. We are on lesson 14. Offerings reveal where our treasures are. 
The offering is a gift to God after our tithe. So we know that a tithe is a 10% of our total income. And now offerings is anything above that. That amount is between you and the Lord. We're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. You can follow along on the screen. Let's read. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's read the, th let's read the three main points. Number one, treasures on earth don't last. Look at your neighbor. Say they don't last. Whatever you store up down here will be destroyed. So don't allow worldly treasure to have your heart. Young people, whatever you're acquiring, all the material possessions that you want is all going to burn up one day. You can't take it with you. You want to invest and make deposits into the kingdom of God. And it will start with your finances as well. It's very important to God what we do with our money. We are accountable before the Lord with every penny that we spend. So we have to be faithful. Number two, store up heavenly treasures. Use your earthly wealth to support the work of God so you will be rewarded with eternal treasures in heaven. If you want an eternal treasure, a lasting reward for eternity, you have to start making deposits in heaven now while we're on the earth because our desire is to have God's kingdom come to this earth. God has called us to be co-laborers with him. That is an honor. That is a privilege that we get to do that, to see his kingdom come to this earth. Number three, Treasures determine your heart. Wherever you store your treasure is where your heart is. So we got to check our hearts every day. Therefore, what you do now will determine your eternal destiny. Let's read the summary. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven by being a giver. Look to your neighbor, say, be a giver. Look to your other neighbor, say, don't be stingy. Come on, Jesus makes us generous. And if you know what, if you have a hard time with that, you got to pray. Say, Jesus, change my heart. Help me to be a generous person. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, live a life of generosity. And number three, believe one day you will be rewarded for all your acts of love and sacrifice. Let's confess this over our life together on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning if you are ready to give God your best. Our tithe and offering is our very best to the Lord. and It is a sacrifice unto him, and it is pleasing to him. Again, here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of your total income, and we designate an offering uh, to two different places. It's towards missions and building. And currently, we are in a building fund raising monies for our Lit Up Metro Praise International Church sign to go outside across the building. Thank you for joining with us. Thank you for your generosity. We did awesome last month, which was our first month raising the monies for that sign. So we are just so excited to, that we get to partner together to see what God has for this city. And we have two options available to you give for you to give your tithes and offerings through card. We have online giving and also in the back. If you have any questions about that, you can see me after service, and I'd love to assist you. Let's recite this together, this verse, as the DJ pushes play. Luke 6, 38. 
Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your generosity to us. Lord, we present our tithe and our offering to you this morning. May it be a pleasing sacrifice to you, O God. We give you our best. We hold nothing back. We want to store treasures in heaven. We make deposits in heaven now while we are in earth so that we can receive an eternal reward, God. We don't want to hoard all of our wealth on earth where rust can destroy and vermin can eat it. God, we want to give you our best. Let your kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven. Help us to reach the lost and continue to spread your word to the four corners of the earth. Bless the gift and the giver this morning. Bless and prosper your people as we remain faithful to you, God. Let your kingdom come in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning and thank you for your generosity. Come on, give us that song, Rachy Rach. Come on, look at your neighbor and say it's all about that grace. Come on. Is it all about that grace, Mom? Yes. It's all about that grace. About that grace. No devil. Come on. It's all about that grace. About that grace. No devil. It's all about that grace. About that grace. One more time. It's all about that grace. About that grace. No devil. It's all about that grace. About that grace. I'm so happy, dude. I love you. It's all about that grace. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all about that grace. Awesome. Thank you. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Glad to see you here on a summer day. We're going to be learning about the throne of grace. Everybody say the throne of grace. Thank you. We're going to learn about where to come in your time of need, the throne of of grace. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to learn about what it means to be in the throne of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we have been for the sermon series called Grace. It's for the whole summer. So if you guys come here and it's hot, we're still going to be in grace, okay? Uh, that's the plan. If it gets super cold in the summer, we'll still be in grace. Uh, but I hope that we're going to have a long summer, at least until September. How many hope that we get some payback for some of the warm days that we missed, uh, the cool days that we missed? I want some payback, you know. It's like, Jesus, give it back. Hot September, hot September. Okay, so we're, we've talked about grace in general. I gave you a big definition of it. We talked about, um, you know, coming to God in grace, being forgiven of our sins, we had the person of grace last week learning about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Thank you. And today we're going to learn about the throne of grace. But let's start with this passage and see how it teaches us what grace actually is. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody say, charis. Now, charis is the word for grace in Greek, okay? Now, the Bible was originally written in Greek, so when you look at this word right here, Paul is writing in Ephesians. When you see that in your Bible, this word grace, this was not first in English. This was first charis. Everybody say charis. Wonderful. Now, this is the definition of that one word. That one word grace means all of this right here particularly that which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance for a kindness granted or desired, a benefit, thanks, or gratitude, a favor done without expectation of return, the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men finding its only motive in the bountiful, everybody say bountiful, in the bountiful and benevolence of God the giver. Okay, so when we're talking about grace today, we're talking about that. Now, before you get all concerned, like, man, I don't know if I can remember that, I have a way of summarizing it right here for you. It is the unmerited and undeserved, unearned favor of God. So if I was to summarize all of this, I would say it's unearned and unmerited favor. So think of it this way. God is doing something for you that you don't deserve. So let's get this mentality in our mind. I don't deserve to be saved, but God wants to save me. So now, why do you think you would not deserve to be saved? Who would like to tell me why you think you would not deserve to be saved? Yes, go ahead. Because we have sin. Let's give it up for Edgar, first-time visitor, answering the right question. You get a bonus. Give this man a new car. Um, think about what Edgar said. Sin means we don't deserve salvation. So let's think about this. In the Bible, it talks about what we have to do to save ourselves. If you wanted to save yourself, to go to heaven based on your own merit, on your own ability, you would have to live without sin. So has anyone here lived their life thus far without sin? Anyone here? You have not sinned, not one time. So now think of this. If you don't deserve earn salvation because you've sinned, what have you earned? What have you earned because of sin? What? The wages of sin is death. So you've earned death. Now is death just in your body or is it also for your soul? Spiritual death. Let me, sh can I show everybody that? Rocky, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. How many would like to see spiritual death? No, two of you? How many would like to see spiritual death? Okay, come on, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3 and look at when man sinned the first time and see what happened. Now, to understand Genesis chapter 3, you've got to obviously go to Genesis chapter 1. We won't turn there, but you read through the creation story. God made Adam and Eve, okay, male and female. That's why we're not for same-sex marriage. You can get mad at me if you want, but take it up with your creator, Okay, you can get upset that your car doesn't fly, but go talk to Chevy who made it or Acura. Okay, you know, you can be upset that you can't do that, but go talk to your creator. This is how God made us. Okay, this is how God made us. I don't make the rules. I just live by them. Amen. Some of you all still figuring out if you want to live by them, but how many want to live for Jesus? Can I get a what? What? 
Okay, so go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Somebody say, he said. See, now this is what the devil through the serpent said. He said, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, in the, uh, from any tree in the garden? Now, this is where I was saying you have to go back to Genesis 1 to see the creation. God created Adam and Eve and all the trees of the garden, and he actually said the opposite of this. He said you can eat from all the trees of the garden. You just can't eat from this one. Now, why would God do that to us? Would he do that because he's a big old meanie? No, God wanted us to have a choice. He said, here's my garden. Here's how I do it. This is with my rule. If you ever at any time want to not do it my way, just eat of this tree, and I'll know that you want to do it a different way. See, think of that a scenario in those terms. Sometimes we think of like them eating the apple, getting cursed, and getting kicked out. We're like, oh my gosh, I feel sorry for Adam and Eve. That was so unfair. God was so harsh. No, it was God's way of hitting exit. I want to leave. There's the exit, right? Like, there's one over there. Here's how you can leave. This is an emergency exit, by the way, so don't try to go out there. Alarms go off. You know, things will go bad for you. You'll get ejected to Lake Michigan. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, <laughs> you just like take off flying. Anyways, that didn't even make any sense, but I said it. It's okay. We're in church. I have the mic and you guys laughed, and I'll say something like that again maybe because you encouraged me to say stuff like that. Anyways, um, so we're looking at Adam and Eve going, oh, man, that's so unfair. No, that's God's way of saying there's the exit. So eat of all of these trees, but don't eat of this one, otherwise you got to go. Now look at when Satan comes. Satan comes to them, and he said, did God really say and what does Satan try to do? Make it all extreme. Make God's commands look unreasonable. In, in our day and age, it would be like the devil saying, did God say you never could have sex? Did he say you never could have sex? I'm going to say it again because I'm not getting the reaction that I need, okay? So smile. If you, okay. Did God say you could never get down and busy with the lady? And, and we would all be like, no, he didn't say I couldn't have sex. He just said I couldn't have sex with anybody I wasn't married to, right? See, the devil tried to make it look worse than what it was, okay? Now keep following. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat the fruit of this tree in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will what? Okay, now remember we're talking about spiritual death. We're talking about what we deserve and what we don't deserve so we can understand grace. So now look what the devil says. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now I want everybody to understand this right here. This is the great conspiracy of the universe. This is the conspiracy of the universe. Everybody's like into Illuminati, you know, like look, you even got the little shirt on right now. Are you in the Illuminati? Jay-Z's in the Illuminati, everybody's in the Illuminati, the bankers are in the Illuminati, everybody's about conspiracies, right? You know what I'm talking about, you've seen it on Facebook. But that's not the biggest conspiracy, whether that's true or not. Here is the biggest conspiracy, you will be God. You will make up your own rules, you will do it. This happened, what I believe, 6,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago is when Jesus came, okay, we're in 2015. Before that, there was 4,000 years of human history, okay? 4,000 B.C. is when I believe this is happening. Now ask yourself, after 6,000 years of human history, is this not still the same 
lie of the devil right here? Is this not the conspiracy he wants to put against us? You don't need that church to tell you right from wrong. You don't need that Bible. It's just written by men. Yeah, but there's other books written by men that I listen to, like the guy who wrote the book of gravity. I believe that. You know, like Sir Isaac Newton. How many have ever stood up on top of a building saying, I don't believe in that book that they wrote about gravity. I can jump and fly. Do you think you just saying, I don't believe in gravity, allows you to fly? If men write down things that are true, they're true whether we believe them or not. Are you guys with me? Now, if the biblical writers were inspired by God, that's true whether we believe it or not, even if men wrote it. I can write as a man, 2 plus 2 is 4. Is that still right? So when people say something like that book's written just by men, that's dumb. There's a lot of things written by men that you already believe. Could God speak to a man and write about things that no one has seen or heard before? Yes, I do believe that. But now think about this. This is the conspiracy. You're in charge. Do what you want. Have you ever felt that temptation on the inside? Have you ever felt yourself at a certain point in your life saying, I'm the boss of me. No one needs to tell me what to do. Young, old, rich, poor, any culture, we've all dealt with that, have we not? Let's see what happens next. The woman then saw that the fruit was pleasing and good. Do you know that sin is pleasurable for a season? Do you know that telling lies will make you feel good for a season? Let's say you go somewhere and nobody knows you, and you just want to lie about who you are. Man, I make all this money. I got this job. You'll feel good for a little bit. That lie will bring you a temporary pleasure. How many men know right now if you went to a strip bar, you would feel good for a little bit? Your flesh would feel good. It would not be like somebody was torturing you. Or maybe it would be for some men here, they would have to go to a men with there's na- a, a bar with naked men, right? Because maybe girls are gross to you, and you want to go to a place where there's naked men. Whether, you like na- whether as a man you like naked men or naked women, at some point you're going to find sexual things that are pleasurable. Are you with me? Come on, how many know God loves gay, straight, all that? How many God, God loves people like that, right? So it doesn't matter if your temptation is same sex, opposite sex, multiple sex. Uh, sin is pleasurable. How many know having a lot of money is pleasurable? Greed, that's pleasurable. Have a lot of money, be in charge. See, the sins that God is telling us to do, he doesn't say don't do it because it's not pleasurable. He says don't do it because it ends in death. This woman is looking at the fruit. Eve is looking at the fruit just like you guys may look at something that's pleasurable to you. Maybe you could even think of it right now as I'm talking. What is your temptation? What is that thing that the devil says, look how good this looks? See, the woman saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also also desirable for wisdom and gaining wisdom. So she took and ate of it. She gave some to her husband, and then he ate of it as well. Now watch this, what happened. They also, uh, their eyes were both open, and they realized that they were what? What did they realize? They were naked. Now how did they not know they were naked before? Who wants to take a guess on who wants to know why they didn't realize they were naked before? Yes, go ahead. They were covered in holiness. Now, what substance produces holiness? Does anybody know? What's that? God produces holiness, and God's glory specifically produces a glow, a fire, a presence. In the tabernacle, as we'll be getting to today, in the Old Testament, there was a fire that was produced by the Holy Spirit through God's glory, through his presence being made known. And also there was a light that would shine when he would come and speak on the mountain with Moses. It would also shake, but there would be a light. God is light. So the glory of God can be symbolized in fire, light, heat, etc. They were covered by God's presence. 
How do I like us to think about that? Look at these lights above you right now. When you start looking towards the light itself, you cannot see the illuminescent, um, you know, those fibers, those light things that make them turn on. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, you cannot see it. If I turn it off, you'll see what makes that light a light. Now all you can see is the illumination. And if you look at your light bulbs, some light bulbs have labels on them. It will say like General Electric. And if your light bulb's bright and you're looking at it, you won't even see the painting on it that says the logo, General Electric. Are you guys tracking with me? They did not know they were naked. Why? Because of God's glory. What changed from when they had the glory to when they didn't have the glory? What did they do? They sinned. They ate of that tree. Now watch this right here. God comes in. They freak out. They run and hide. They used to hang out with God. Now they're hiding from God. God begins to talk to them, and they start talking about they're naked, and here, here the, you know, the story is retold again, and the woman says, the man deceived me, and all these things happen, and then now the curses come. And after the curses come, listen, here's another curse here. Listen to what uh, God does. God makes garments for them of skin of animal, and the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which had been taken. Now what did this mean? Track with me. It's very simple. In that garden, there were two trees that they were supposed to choose from. One was a tree of everlasting life. Please stop popping your gum who's ever doing that. Thank you. One is a tree of everlasting life, and the other tree is the knowledge of good and evil. They ate from the wrong tree. Now God says if they now were to take of the other tree, the tree of everlasting life, they would be forever damned. Think about that. They are now spiritually judged, and if they were to live forever, never die in that state, they would always be separated from God, never allowed to go back into the Garden of Eden. Now, God has given us a chance to make our choice today. God has come through Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins so that we can have salvation. Now go back to this simple definition. The big definition helps those of you who want to study further, but this one right here just gets you the understanding of where I took you from. I took you through the book of Genesis, that we don't deserve salvation. After Adam and Eve, we have all sinned in our own ways. You admitted that you've sinned. So if you can't be in the Garden of Eden, the perfect place of God, you deserve death. Go with me to Romans chapter 3 quickly. Romans chapter 3. I want you to see in the Bible where it says what you deserve and who you are. How many want to know who you are so you can change? How many already believe you have been changed? How many sinners do I have here? How many saints do I have here? It's only one or the two. We either got sinners or we got saints. Which one are you? Are you still separated from God or are you connected to God? How many want to learn about this? Say amen. amen. Okay, so look at this right here. When you're looking at the Bible through the New Testament, you're looking at the summarization of the Old Testament. Think of it this way. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So why is it when I read the story of Adam and Eve, I don't see the Garden of Eden anymore? Why is it I don't see angels walking among men? Why is it I don't see these things happening like I did in the Old Testament? Because during those times, it was in preparation for Jesus. 
Now that Jesus has come, he has been the last spokesperson of God. Everything goes through Jesus. The New Testament now explains to me why there were angels in the Old Testament showing up. I mean, an angel could do it now, but that's not God's primary way of giving you a message. It's through the Bible. Are you listening? But back then in the Old Testament, they didn't have their Bible yet, so they needed an angel. Back then, Jesus had not come, so they needed animal sacrifices. Everybody with me? So think of it simply like this. Why do I have an Old Testament and a New Testament? It's because the Old Testament is before Jesus, and the mysteries of God are there concealed. Why is it I have a New Testament? Because it's after Jesus where the mysteries of God are revealed. I can understand things now. How many want to understand the Bible? Okay. So look at Romans chapter 3. Paul is going to explain what has happened since the time of Adam and Eve. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. So are we better than Adam and Eve? That's the question. Are we better than the people of the Old Testament? Now today, after Jesus has come, Paul lives just a few years after Jesus. We are 2,000 years after Jesus, but it's the same time period. When we look at the, uh, the Bible and we see the mistakes like Adam and Eve made, are we any better than them? Would you have done differently if you were in the garden? Given enough time, we all would have made mistakes. That's what the Bible says. No, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of what? Sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. How many know this is who you were before you came to Christ? So many of us who have already come to Jesus, we look at these things and we go, yep, that was us. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways. And whether or not you were an actual murderer or a hater murderer, the Bible says that in the New Testament, when you hate your brother, you are committing the sin of murder now as if you were killing them. That's what Jesus says. Everybody remember that? How remember that when Jesus said the sin of uh, hatred is like murder? You all remember? Okay. So we're all like this. Ruin and misery mark their ways. So even though there's pleasure in sin, at the end, the Bible says, is of death. Sin ends in death. Those, those one-night stands, that stealing, that, that bitterness, those things that we thought at, thought at one time were pleasurable then become bitter to our soul. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So what happens? We look at the Bible and we see that all of us are deserving of sin, uh, deserving of hell and damnation because we have sinned. And this is where now we get to the conclusion, for all have sinned. How many have sinned? All have sinned and have fallen short of God's glory. And, all, and now look at this. And all are justified free, freely by his what? Grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So how many of you here were born sinners? Raise your hands with me, please. How many since being born, you have been born again a child of God? Okay. Now, that is the difference. One is born a sinner. They're going to hell rightfully by their own sin. Others have been born again 
a second birth. This is not reincarnation. It is a second birth, but it's spiritually on the inside from Jesus. Now we live a new life. And what is the thing that separates sinners from saints? And saints are holy people of God, those who live for Jesus. Just put up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 for me so you can see what I'm saying. What separates sinners from saints? One word, the series this summer, everybody shout it out. What is it? Grace. Grace separates us. One person refuses the grace of God. Another person accepts the grace of God. Today's sermon title is The Throne of Grace. And I'm going to get to the introduction. So look at your neighbor and say, we're about ready to start the sermon now. Okay, we're about ready to start it. This was the intro to the intro, okay? I'm not kidding. This was actually the intro to the intro. You look right here, Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to, to God's who? Holy people. What kind of people are God's people? What kind of people? Holy people. In the King James, what were they called? Saints. To the saints which are at Ephesus. So what kind of people, one last time, are the people of God? They are saints. The saints and the ain'ts. If you ain't a saint, you are a what? A sinner. Saints and ain'ts. And if you ain't a saint, you are a sinner. Can I show you that real quick? Go to John chapter 6. Look to your neighbor and say, we got to do a couple things before we get to the sermon. Go to John chapter 6. Aren't you guys happy that you guys get a couple sermons in one day? Isn't that awesome? Look at John chapter 6 here in your Bible. Jesus is having a time with his disciples here, and there begins to be an argument that uh, comes up between some of his disciples and some of the things that were going on here with the Jewish people. And um, it goes all the way through to chapter 7, and towards uh, chapter 7 here, Jesus has to start rebuking some folks into chapter 8. So go to chapter 8 <laughs> uh, as I get there. Oh, here we go. Chapter 8. And these are the kind of folks that wanted to make Jesus look like he wasn't telling the truth. But look what Jesus says to them in John chapter 8. Um, let me get to this part. This is on the fly right here. And this is the fun part of being on the fly. Here we go. Look at John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son shall sets you free or make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen from my father, and you do that which you have seen from your father. Still in King James. Let's, let's move out of King James. How many want to go to a modern English version? Is that okay? Make it easy. Get rid of the yees and all that. You are looking, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Somebody say, no room for God's word. That's what some people's hearts like. Now listen how Jesus keeps going. I am telling you what I have seen in my Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So Jesus says, hey, y'all don't like me because I'm preaching my Father's word to you. But y'all don't have room for his word because you're doing what your Father said. Let me just pause right here. When I talk about the Bible to people, whether I meet on the streets or here in the church, if you don't have room for God's word, that's because you filled up your word with the father of this world. 
not God the Father. And the way I look at it is this. You're filling your spirit on something. All of us are filling our spirit on something. You are not spiritually neutral. Just like in gangland, you ain't no neutron. There ain't no neutrals in gangland. I'm trying. Gringo trying up here. Just like there ain't no neutrons in gangland, there ain't no neutral spiritually. You're either alive or dead. You're either on God's side or the devil's side, right? So imagine this. My mom makes lasagna, the best I've ever had. It's my favorite food in the whole world. When I eat my mom's lasagna, it doesn't matter what you put in front of me. You could put arroz con condules in front of me. You could put pizza in front of me. You could put some baby back ribs in front of me. I have no room for anything else after I've eaten mama's lasagna. Are you with me? If you are truly loving God, you won't have room for anything the devil's offering you. I don't have room for adultery in my heart because I love my wife and I love God. I don't have room in my heart to steal from you because I love you as myself. Are you getting with this? Are you tracking with me? But if you love the devil, if you love your father, you don't have room for God. You're sleeping with someone that you're not married to and God's telling you not to do it. You don't got room for that. You don't have room for church because you're too busy doing everything else. You see the difference. If you're living for God, you don't got room for the devil. If you're living for the devil, you don't got room for God. So let's get to the point. He says, hey, y'all looking to kill me because you don't like me. But you know what? I'm just telling you what my father said, though you don't like what he says. You like what your father says. And then these people say, well, you know what? Abraham's our father. And they try to make themselves look good like Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. So they're going to say, man, I've got a good father. And, you know, somebody may say back to that, oh, you know, the devil's not my father. You know, I, my father's name is Jim or, or something. But Jesus gets to them spiritually and begins to rebuke them right here. And I'll get right down to the nitty-gritty. Everybody say, make it, make it plain. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Okay, Jesus, make it plain for them. Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the your father, the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies so when Kanye West Little Wayne all these rappers talk about making money having women and all that and they're telling you all these lies where are they getting those lies from their father the devil Women, listen to me. When a man tells you that you don't have to be married to have sex, that he loves you and it's going to work out, he's going to take care of you, he's telling you lies from who? The devil. And where did he get that from? The devil. The devil gave him those lies. Any lie, put it on yourself right now, put it on me. Any lie that we believe finds its way back to the devil. Jesus said you have one or two fathers, God the Father or the devil is your father. Go back to the notes, please. Are you all ready for the sermon? Now we got to know about grace. Because I don't want the devil to be my father. I don't want to listen to his lies. I was a high school dropout at 16. I've been arrested eight times before I was an adult. I was arrested. I had did a lot of bad things. I am thankful that Jesus said to me I could be saved. I am thankful that there is salvation for me. See, this is the scripture we started with. For it's by grace Joe's been saved. And what does grace mean? It means the unearned and unmerited favor of God. That's how Joe was saved. Joe was not saved because I did a bunch of good things. I was saved because Jesus died for me. Jesus took my sins. He took your sins, right? But have you received his grace? Have you been saved? Well, how do you get saved? Through what? See, grace is made available for everyone. Remember we just read in Romans where it says 
all have sinned. Remember we said that? But what's the second part that it said? All have also been justified. Do you know that all sinners' debts have already been paid? Every sinner's debt's already been paid. We don't, like if somebody commits a sin today, we don't have to have Jesus come back and die on the cross again. When Jesus was on the cross, put up a picture of Jesus on the cross, please. When Jesus was there, all sin, past, present, and future, was placed on him. So now you and I have a decision to make. Do we put our faith in that? As he puts up the picture of the cross, I want you to ask yourself, do I believe he took my sins? Now, once again, this he is not the he I'm referring to. I'm just trying to give you an illustration. Amen? You know the argument goes back and forth. Was Jesus black? Was Jesus white? Was Jesus black? Was Jesus white? Well, these two guys were arguing back, back and forth, black and white, black and white, black and white. And they died, and they went to heaven, and they met Jesus, and Jesus goes, Que paso? Que paso? I am neither. I am neither black or white, Holmes. I am Latino. So Jesus, skin, the skin color of Jesus, red, black, pink or purple, it doesn't matter as long as his blood was shed for me, as long as he took my penalty. So here's, here's the question. By grace, you have been saved through what? Faith. Grace is the door that separates you from sinner to saint. But how do you open that door and go from one to the other through faith in Jesus? Now, when we're talking about faith in Jesus, I don't mean like make-believe Jesus, whoever you make-believe Jesus to be. I'm talking... This is the gospel. Putting faith in the historical Jesus. Do you believe around about 2,000 years ago, a man was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, fulfilled ancient Jewish prophecies, then was betrayed by his own people, given to the Roman government to be whipped and beaten and crucified, and then buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea? Do you believe that that man then raised from the dead three days later, spent time with over 500 of his followers, ascended on a cloud, and gave the Holy Spirit to write the Bible through his, his uh, disciples? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you are saved. That is salvation. The belief in that is how you cross over through grace from sinner to saint. Now, does that have a transformation of our life? Yes, it does. Please put the notes back up. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Whose gift is it? Who gives us this gift? Amen. Can you put the mouse over there for us? Who gives us the gift? God. And how do we get it? Not by works so no one can boast. We get it by the grace of God. And we are what? His handiwork. Everybody say handiwork. Now, this is what I want to talk about today. I want to tie some loose ends on this sermon today, Throne of Grace, and I really want to get to it and have some time here to explain it. You are God's handiwork when you confess, I believe in Christ. Spiritually, you are changed. Some of us think that coming to Jesus is like joining Weight Watchers, that he's going to now renovate your life for the next 30 years and help you drop spiritual weight. I used to weigh 286, now I weigh around 230-something. I dropped weight over the last six months. Some of you think that that's what salvation is going to be like. God is just going to chisel away at you and keep making you something until one day you get to heaven and then you'll be complete. That is not the salvation of the Bible. The salvation of the Bible is you go from death to life instantaneously. 
You go from blind to seeing instantaneously. You go from being a son of the devil to the son of God instantaneously, being adopted as a child of God. Does everybody get that? See, it says you have been saved, past tense. I am not being saved and renovated right now. I have already been saved. I am not going to be the handiwork of God. I am the handiwork of God. I am not going to be created sometime in the future after I die. I have been newly created now in Christ Jesus to do good works. Because where do I need to do good works? In heaven or on earth? Good works are already done in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no murdering in heaven. There's no need of charity in heaven. Where do all those things need to be done? Down here. We need good works right here. We need people to preach here. We need people to adopt children here. We have to go out and do those good works here. So I've already, once I've been saved, made the handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do these things because God prepared them in advance for me to do. God knew when you would accept him into uh, your life, and at that moment he said, i got a plan for you. I've been waiting to show you. How many of you have been starting to experience the plan of God? He's planned something in advance for you. Aren't you excited about that? When I got saved, he wasn't like, oh, let me find Joe a wife. Once I got saved, God said, you're ready for the wife I prepared for you. Think of it that way. Come on, everything that you're trying to get, God says, I already got, but you got to come through me first. Everything you want to get, God has already got. You've got to come to him first. Can I show you this in the Bible? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17 quickly. Somebody say grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor, God's kindness towards me. I deserved wrath. How many here deserved wrath before you were born again? Right? How many are children of God now? Right? There's a difference. There's a transformation. This is the gospel. If you've been told something else, I'm sorry it wasn't the gospel. I apologize, right? I mean, if somebody told you something else, whether they were intending to or not, they didn't tell you the truth. This is the truth of the Bible. Can we go to uh, the scripture I just said, please? Somebody help my brother. What was the scripture I just said? Come on, baby. 517. Look at that. Can I put this right in your eye? Let me look at that. Look at that. Look at that. What, you ain't paying attention back there? What you doing? You playing a game? You playing Minecraft back there? No, I'm kidding. 2 Corinthians 517. Second service is fun. I love second service. If you guys go to first service, don't expect this in first service. Amen? You all mess it up. Start answering questions out loud. People are like, why are you talking to them? But in second service, we do that. We do this in second service. You don't know what I'm talking about. we more laid back here. Is that all right? I got to keep it different. If you come to first service, go with the first service swag. Amen? But second service swag is laid back, kicked back, chilled back. Amen? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Come. The old has gone. The new is? Okay, so where's the new creation, everybody? Point to it. Where's here? Point to yourself, right? The new creation is here. It's with you. The new creation has come. Does it say the new creation is coming? Wait for it. Wait for it. You're, you're working out. You're working out. God's going to give you more and more and more as you do more and more. Like how I lost weight. Is that how I became a Christian? That I come to God all jacked up. And then he said, okay, let's start here. Stop snorting cocaine, plan one, because that's what I did. I did bad drugs, right? So stop snorting cocaine, day one. Whoop. And think of this like as a progress bar on, on your computer when you're downloading the program, 12%, 18%. You guys with me? So was it like day one, stop doing drugs? Day two, stop fighting. 
day three, and now here I am 20 years later. Stop this. Stop that. And my, my progress bar, put up a progress bar so everybody could just see it, just progress bar. They'll, they'll have. So am I like, since I've been a Christian now for 20 years, am I like 83% saved now? And heaven is like waiting to download your new creation. So I'm like at heaven's sight right now, and God's like, you just hang in there, son. You only got 17 more percent to go. And then right when I'm at 99.99%, then I get hit by a car and I go to heaven and God goes, now you're 100. <laughs> Is that what happens? Where's the new creation? And now how did God make your new creation? Did he make it jacked up or did he make it perfect, holy, and righteous? Yeah, so when God made you new, did he make you sinner or did he make you a saint? Okay, did he make you unholy or holy? When God gave you a new born-again spirit, was it perfect or imperfect? So when we came to Christ, we were born again like the children of God. Here we go. Is this me in salvation right now? Like 66%. Here I am. I'm just trying. I got this much good works left to do. This is how I'm getting saved right here. I got these much more good works to do. I got, what is that? 34% good works left to do. It says, go back to the notes, please. Thank you. Look at this. Look at this. You have been saved. 100%. Boom. Have been saved. Boom. Everybody go, boom. There it is. 100%. Boom. Done. Done. If God could create the entire universe like this, you don't think he could create a new you like this? Hello. And who's bigger, God or the devil? So sin's going to mess you up so much that Jesus got to work on you, work on you. Come on. The devil's nothing but a flea to God. When he rebelled, Jesus said, I saw him fall like heaven. The father said, it's over. He fell like lightning from heaven, not fall like heaven. He fell like lightning from heaven. When Satan rebelled, it was like lightning. He was gone. Done. Now you're there. Tempt man and see what they do. Man has a choice. Angels had a choice. Third of them chose Satan. Man had a choice. That's it. There's no battle. When Jesus came, demons were screaming, leave us alone, son of God. Don't judge us yet. Don't torment us yet. Cast us out into pigs. That's how desperate they were. Put us in pigs before you put us in hell and torment. Hey, there's no battle between God and the devil. It's done. When you're born again, boom, you're born again. When you're saved, you're saved. When you're rescued, you're rescued. In God's eyes, you're delivered. A new creation has come. Can somebody say amen? I want to show you this a few more times. You guys have some time? You got anywhere to go? I can preach a little bit. Have been saved, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works. You're the handiwork of God. You were created in Christ Jesus. Go with me quickly to Hebrews chapter 10. How many believe the Bible? How many are not sure yet? That's okay. We love you. It's okay. You know what? I didn't believe the Bible at one time either until the Bible changed me. Sometimes you've got to start with where you're at. I said, Mom, I don't know about all this Christian stuff, but then the moment I gave God a mustard seed of faith, he rocked my world so much that I've been trusting him ever since. Trust God. Believe him wholly. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. If you're in Hebrews chapter 10, somebody say I'm there. Amen. Amen. I want you to see here in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Have we been made holy or unholy in Jesus Christ? Holy or unholy, saints? By that we have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. By this man, who's this man, capital M, right here? 
Come on. By this man, after that he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice for sins forever. How many times did Jesus have to die on the cross? For how long? Forever. Watch this. Sat down at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now? Right hand of God. He's coming soon though, isn't he? But right now, he's at the right hand of God. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, to the Father in Jesus' name, because he's at his right-hand side. I don't need his mother, brother, or St. Cletus or St. Anthony. All I need is Jesus. He's at the right-hand side. Are you with me? From that time, well, watch this. By this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. This is waiting for judgment. For by one offering, how many offerings? He has what? Perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Who are you? Who are you to God? You are a saint. You are sanctified. You are perfected forever in Jesus Christ. I will talk about how Christians sin in just a moment. But I want you to get this in your spirit right here. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know what the Bible said about you. I want you to believe it more than you believe what the newspaper says. Because if you can trust God, God can show you his plans for your life. And he will transform you into the person he made you to be. Look at this right here in a different translation if I can find it. Here we go. N-E-T. There it is. Look at this. It says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are what? Made holy. Why did I want to show you that? One says who are being sanctified. The other one says who are made holy. This is a more accurate translation from the N-E-T. The past tense of holy has already happened. How do I know that? From the verse we just read prior, why it says, by his own will we have been made holy. Do you understand? Both tenses are in the past tense. In one version, they put it in the present tense, and that's okay because sometimes Greek is a bit complicated, but the context would contradict itself. In verse 10, it says, by his will we have been made holy. And then let me just show you again in another. Can I show you in the uh, NIV? Can I show you what I'm doing? Some of you guys don't know this, but let me show you the Bible real quick in Greek. And then um, we'll move on. How many want to learn something in Greek today? You guys want to learn something in Greek? Okay, let me show you here. When you see this, those who have been sanctified, that Greek word right here, hagizo, hagizo, hagiazio, I don't know how to pronounce that word. I don't even want to try to pronounce it. That's why my wife speaks Greek. Here's all the definitions for it. The bottom line is it's in the past tense. Does everybody see this? Sanctified. Now look here where it says, are being sanctified. Does everybody see that? In one place here, it says, I have been sanctified. Here it says, who are being sanctified. So the reason why I changed translations for you is because I believe the one that's more accurate is the one that puts both of them in the past tense. Have been made holy, and then who are made holy. You see how they match their tense here? Does everybody get that? Can I tell you why translations differ? It's not that the word of God differs. It's just how certain scholars look at the grammar. But I don't have to question the grammar here because the context already tells me what, what has happened. I have been made holy. Let's go slow here. Have I been made holy, yes or no? Let, let's, let's not, can I just sit down here for a second? Okay. Let's just pretend we have the Bible and we're just going to read it, and no pastor is going to help you, okay? Read it out loud with me on the count of three, and let's see what happened here. By his will, holy, through the offering of the body. Okay, thank you. Now, everybody's like, oh, that's just your interpretation. No, 
either you can't read or you don't understand what you're reading. But there's really only one interpretation here, right? Okay, by his will, we what? Have been made. Okay, so if you don't understand that, that's a problem with reading comprehension, not interpretation, right? Okay, now watch this down here. For by one offering, he has. Okay, so how long am I perfected for? Am I holy or unholy? And how long am I going to be holy for? For all time. Boom. Now watch this. That's how we do the right thing. Think of it just so simply. Before you were born, could you do good things? Like naturally. Before you were born, could you ride a bike? What is a prerequisite for you to ride a bike? At least in this scenario, you have to be what? Born. You need to be existing. In God's mind, going back to the notes, how do you do good works? What do you have to be first according to God here? You have to be what? Saved, not by works, but by God's handiwork, creating in Christ Jesus. Then I do what? Good works. So everybody look at this. You don't make yourself stop lying. You let Jesus make you a new creation who's not a liar. You don't make yourself stop lusting. You let Jesus make you a pure and holy person who doesn't lust, and you follow his word. Does everybody get the difference? Let's take, let's take one last time because I'm, I'm tracking with you either. I need everybody to look up at me, so I need to know how much more I need to repeat, okay? So unless you want me to repeat this a whole bunch of more times, I really need you to help me, class. Okay, here we go. Do Christians become Christians by A, doing good things, or by B, being made a new creation in Christ, A or B. Okay, so we understand that it's B, right? Okay, if that's true, then why is it people tell me all the time that they can't live for God? Because I say, God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage, and they go, I can't do that. I can't do that. I talk to people like, stop being bitter, forgive your enemies. Doesn't mean what your enemies did was right, but forgive them. They go, I can't do that. See, if people are telling me they can't do something, then that means they don't understand salvation, right? Because salvation is not saying do something to be saved. Salvation is saying let God do something to save you. If you were drowning in a river right now and I said save yourself and you go, I can't, and I go, but I can, if you still drown, is that your fault or my fault? In the scenario, if I could really actually save you and you don't let me save you, whose fault is that? Your fault. You say, I can't. And I go, I understand you can't. I can't. Take my hand. But no, I can't. No, you, no listen. Just take my hand. That's faith. Grace is Jesus helping you, and salvation is him pulling you up. Do you get the illustration? You're drowning in sin. Faith says stretch out your hand. Grace says there's a, there's a, there's a hope for you. There's a Savior. Because everybody get that? Everybody get that? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 then, please. I love second service. Aren't we going, growing? We're growing and going places with God. Amen? Galatians chapter 5, and then I'll get to this message towards the end of the day. How many are ready for the message at some point? Do you actually want to hear it? because I haven't even read the introduction yet. It's really cool. It's going to be a part two no matter what. It's going to be a part two, so I should have probably said that, but it's going to be a part two because the first service, I don't even know if I made it this far. Okay, this was towards the end of the first service where I got here. Look at Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to go back to the NIV, just different translations, right? These are okay. All good Christian Bibles can be followed, but, you know, sometimes a little difference, but the Greek is always the same. But just watch this. Just watch this. Let's not get confused. Here we go. So you may say to yourself now that I have explained to you who you are. Can I stand in front of this fan for a little bit? Okay, now that, I, now that you guys understand who you are, are you holy or unholy as a Christian? Are you perfect or unperfect? Are you new or are you old? 
okay, watch. Now that we've said this, what do people now come up with in their mind? As a Christian, I get tempted. Right? How many Christians, you've been born again, you've been made new, but you've been tempted. How many of you have been tempted, right? We all get tempted. And now we want to know, where does that come from? How does that happen? I thought I was new. I thought God perfected me. I thought he made me holy. Why, Why do I have these desires? Look right here. It's so simple. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the Okay, so when you were born again, were you born again spiritually or were you born in your flesh again? Spiritually. When Adam and Eve died, did they die in their flesh or did they die spiritually? So that's how we're born again is spiritually. So when I accepted Jesus into my life, did my freckles go away? Did the autonomy of my body change? Now watch this. Did my brain change? Now, you have five senses, touch, taste, see, smell, and hear. These five senses are attached to your brain. Your brain also stores memories. Alzheimer's is an example of memories uh, uh, degrading in your brain because memories are stored in chemicals in your brain. Your brain is like a hard drive. Is everybody with me? You have more electrical connections in your brain than there are electrical connections in the world. The brain is still the most complex organ on the planet. Are you tracking? But that brain is not your spirit. You are separate from your brain. Your spirit uses your brain like a person uses a car to drive. You are not the car, but you drive the car. You are not your brain, but you use the brain. How does your spirit use the brain? <laughs> how does your spirit How does your spirit use your brain? Everybody say soul. My soul is the interconnection between my spirit and my body. That is what God breathed into us. We became a living soul in the book of Genesis. The soul lives on after the body dies because spiritually God has meant the soul to live forever, either in heaven or in hell. Is everybody tracking with me? This is what Christ transforms, your soul through the spiritual regeneration. Your flesh remains the same, and your flesh is in it. It is not a person, a separate you. Your brain is not a separate you. Your stomach is not a separate you. When you go, I'm hungry, it's not that your soul is hungry. Your organ called stomach is hungry. Are you with me? But we get so used to identifying them as us, but one day... Your body is going to be here. Your soul's going there. Are you with me? But you leave this body. How many believe you leave this body? I got to share this fan with some of you guys, don't I? Okay, I got to share it with you. You're getting a little hot. Okay. Now track with me. So I say walk by the what? Walk by the what here? Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the what? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the Flesh, they are in conflict with each other, so it's not you doing whatever you want, uh, so that you are not able to do whatever you want, but you are led, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, if you want to say, What does my flesh desire? What does the flesh want? What does this body want? Now that it has been cursed from Adam and Eve's sin, what do those five senses want? Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. These three things summarize all the deviant sexual behaviors. God has only ordained sex in one place. Like there was only one tree to eat from. That, uh, there was one everlasting tree of life. There's like one way of having sex. Here it is. In marriage, monogamy. Husband, wife. Not polygamy. 
not polyamory, not same sex. That's what it is. Anything else is immoral, impure, and debaucherous. Are you guys with me? Can I hear an amen? Idolatry is what your flesh wants. Witchcraft is what the flesh wants. That's why all these people go to, uh, to psychics because witchcraft gives us power, insight, knowledge, things that God either has not intended us to know, but we want those kinds of things. Our, our flesh, brain wants those things. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, pops you in the nose. What does your flesh want to do? What do those five senses and organs want to do? Fight back. Are you with me? If your soul was not in your body, would your body be able to do anything? No. And in the body, you can control it with your soul. So your body is not, uh, your, your soul is not to follow your body's desires. Now, for some of us in the back, like Ricky and Rachel, who have been Christians, Christians for a long time, sometimes the pastors would say that this flesh was also a part of your soul. So it was like two yous. But the flesh is never called you. Just like your stomach isn't you, your hand isn't you. The you of the Bible all throughout the New Testament is always called holy, sanctified, pure, perfected, righteous. Are you with me? Don't confuse it when people are like, what's the flesh? The flesh is exactly what the flesh is. Flesh. There's no deeper spiritual term than that. It's sarks in the Greek. Flesh. Your body. Hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness. See, your body... Once you start drinking, your body can crave more alcohol, more drugs, your body. My dad was taking sleeping pills because he was having some issues with his blood pressure and stuff. And he said as he got off of it, his body would wake up and crave it. My dad wasn't an addict, but his body would want it. And then he realized how strong drugs could be for, you know, for somebody that wouldn't fight against him. Praise God, he didn't become addicted to sleeping pills. But how many know your body can crave chocolate? Your body can crave pizza. How many women have ever been pregnant and have craved some stuff? Or just women in general have craved stuff, right? Women, you know what I'm talking about. A certain time in the month. Well, I'd be craving stuff. Okay, I got a little too personal. Anyways, everybody say this big word. One, two, three. Orgies. Okay. How many know your body desires that? Your body desires that. Now, that's in the Bible. See, now it's all popular and it's crazy. It's on TV and stuff, you know. But that was in the Bible. And the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody say the flesh. Everybody say that's obvious. Okay, now look at this right here. But the fruit of the Spirit, everybody say the Spirit. Amen. Is love, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Is God ever going to say, stop having so much love down there, guys? You have too much peace. No, there's no law. You can have as much as you want, right? You see, if anybody's in here today wondering where the popo's at, running from the police, the reason why you're doing that is because you're a lawbreaker. But all the rest of us, we're not afraid of the police, right? There's no problem here. Like, oh, I'm not afraid of the police. You know why? Because we're not breaking the law. If you're doing the right thing with God, you're not afraid of hell. You're not afraid of judgment because you know you have the spirit. The spirit's inside of you. You love what God loves and you hate what he hates. Okay, now watch this. Now here it is. Here's the Christian life. Here it is. He contrasts these two things. Wherever this mousey went. Where are you, mousey? There you go. Hello. Watch this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if I am a Christian, 
and I am having these kinds of desires, idolatry, sexual impurity, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to count these passions and desires as crucified with Christ. So verse 25, what is the Christian life? Here it is. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, I need somebody to demonstrate the Holy Spirit. Joe B., will you come, please? Just give it up for Joe B. He's going to imitate the Holy Spirit. So I am going to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants me to live pure. The Holy Spirit wants me to treat my neighbor like myself. But when I, in my flesh, you stay there. You don't follow my flesh. But when I, when I want to get mad at my neighbor, I'm going contrary to the Spirit. Do you see that? This is called grieving the Spirit. This is why when you became a Christian, things that didn't bother you before now started to bother you. How many of you, just give me a second, how many of you used to cuss somebody out before you were a Christian and you didn't feel bad because they deserved it? Let's just be honest. They deserved it. Why does it get quiet when I get examples like this? <laughs> Y'all, how many of you are hypocrites? Let's start with that one right now. Let's be honest. How many of you, with a show of hands, in your anger, before you were a Christian, you cussed at somebody and you said, they deserved it. Raise your hand. How many of you have been a Christian, cussed at somebody or got angry, and then God said they didn't deserve that and you felt convicted? After being a Christian for two weeks, you know when was the last time I cussed? Some of you won't believe this. Last time I did drugs, 95, November. Last time I cussed was like summer of 95. And the reason was, or 96, summer of 96, the reason was I was out skateboarding. I had become a Christian, and I was falling down, and I was doing bad and stuff. And I picked up my skateboard, and I started cussing, and I got upset, and I felt bad. Literally, the Spirit told me that was wrong, and I was contrary to God. I literally was shocked that God would care about that. I'm like... I'm not killing anybody. I'm not doing drugs anymore. Like, literally, this is how I thought. I was a brand-new Christian, 19 years old, saved at 18 a few months later, right? And God shows me this is not who he made me to be. I don't know if you can believe this, but I have not cussed out somebody since that day, nor said a swear word. Almost 20 years. Did Jesus have to do my progress bar to take a potty mouth away from me? Or was I saved? And then I realized to walk with the Spirit. See, some of you are saved and you don't know how to walk with the Spirit. See, the Spirit's trying to walk with you. Let's go this way and say, don't cuss. Love your neighbor. Don't be perverted. Let's go this way now. Be patient. Love people. But then you're like, no, I want to be, you stay there. No, I want to be a pervert. I want to have sex before marriage. Does everybody get the illustration? Let's give it up for Joby. Thank you. And so the problem is, is that if you are a Christian and you're not keeping in step with the Spirit, you are not doing what you're supposed to do. You are going against what God said. God wants you to keep in step with the Spirit. God wants you to follow the Spirit. Now, in closing, here's the message. Everybody say, here comes the sermon. Okay, here comes the sermon. This is the introduction to the, to the sermon today. The Old Testament sacrificial system painted a graphic picture of both God's judgment and grace. The judgment was seen when the animals were sacrificed because of Israel's sin. However, God's grace was displayed when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Everybody say mercy seat. Thank you. The mercy seat was an ancient picture of the throne of grace 
which was to be made available because of Jesus. God the Father was demonstrating that there would be a time when God the Son would come and be the once and for all sacrifice for our sins and make a way not only for the Jewish people, but for all mankind so they can receive grace and mercy. This sermon that I have prepared by God's grace tomorrow, uh, next week we'll go over, helps you to understand how to come to the throne of grace. Everybody say mercy seat. We don't deserve salvation. We deserve judgment. But early on in the history of Israel, God gave Moses ten commandments and then 600 other commandments for a total of 610 and then a tabernacle and a way to worship God. Is everybody with me? These are those books right there that, oh my gosh, I have to leave that alone. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Talk about this temple. Talk about the people of Israel. Moses getting these 610 commands. 610 of them. I have them all in my notes here. Would you like me to start going over each one of them? Takes a while. You can read them on your own. If you want them, I'll email it to you. But this was the most sacred part of the temple. And this was called the Ark of the Covenant. Rachel, would you come, please? And in the Ark of the Covenant was where they kept the Ten Commandments, where they kept the, uh, the uh, staff of Aaron that budded because they didn't think Aaron could be a priest. And God said, look, I'll make, I'll make uh, flowers grow out of Aaron's staff, and I'll show you that he's in charge. Okay, that was actually a story that happened. That, that staff was there to remind them. And then manna was there. That's how God fed them for 40 years in the desert. Three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments, manna, and Aaron's beard. Not beard. Aaron's budded staff. There we go. Buds, man. He had his buds. Yeah, the budded staff was there. Anyways, right here are two angels symbolize what it looks like in heaven. This is exactly the rep representation of how it was made. And then here is supposed to represent the throne of God. What they would do, the Israelites, is they would sacrifice their animals. Now, when we think today of sacrifice, we think of something that's probably really cute and cuddly, but that's not what it was like back then. It was literally like butchering animals. Has anybody ever seen an animal butcher? Has anybody seen a cow butcher, a, a, a big animal? It is a bloody mess. And they would watch this happen. The people would watch the priests cut the head, blood dripping out everywhere, you know, decapitating him, taking apart his limbs. And by the way, that's how all of our food gets processed anyways. God is not a vegan. Don't think God's a vegan. That's the Hinduism religion. That is not Christianity, and I'll explain to you why that's foolish in, in another time. But then they would take this blood, blood of an animal, and they would walk it through ceremoniously to this part of the temple, and they would sprinkle it with a branch from a hyssop tree, which is like a weeping willow tree for us. They would dip it in there with all the blood. They would dip the branches in there, and they would walk through their temple, and they would get to this part, and they would sprinkle it on there. And then the glory of God would come and show favor to the people and that their sins had been forgiven. Then once a year at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would get the most innocent of an animal as well as the time of Passover, they would get the most innocent of an animal, a little old lamb, a little lamb, not even a big old lamb, a young lamb, and it looked so innocent, so white with its skin, and then the priest would do the same thing, and you could just, even in that culture, you could just tell that it kind of got to people, like, oh, that was a little lamb, 
I mean, it's one thing to eat a big cow, another thing to eat a little cow, like a little calf, like veal. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you feel a little compassion. It's like killing a little puppy. I mean, you can eat dogs. There's cultures who still eat them. That's another discussion. That's another discussion. But you know what this was symbolizing? Is that they would place their hand on that, that lamb and, and the priests would confess the sins of Israel at a special time of the year. Because they would sacrifice birds and cows. But this special time of the year, they would do it with a lamb. And the idea was, one day, someone is going to be innocent. Someone is going to be spotless, like this lamb, and die for your sins. And in that time of the year, they would come there, and there would be a special celebration. The glory of God would come. Now, when John the Baptist, go to John chapter 1, please. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking the earth, do you know what he called Jesus? What did he call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the throne of grace? I'm going to read the scripture here in closing, but I'm just building it up here for you. The throne of grace. Yeah, go ahead and put it up there when you get ready. The throne of grace was represented by that Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. The cross in the New Testament, but it's the actual place where Jesus is now, where God's throne is, where the blood has been brought, and everybody can come and receive forgiveness. Look at this. He sees Jesus coming. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now quickly here in closing, look at these, look at this passage, which I'm going to go over next week. I got all the notes here for next week. Are you guys ready for next week? These are all the notes for next week. You guys are cool with that, right? Look at this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. Remember we're saved by grace through faith. So hold on to faith. Don't let doubts and troubles take away your faith. Hold on to faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. Empath uh, I messed up with this in the first service. Empathize. Are you guys having empathy for me while I'm trying to pronounce the word empathize? Okay, just checking. A priest who is able to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus. Do you know that Jesus was tempted in every way like us, but yet didn't sin? You know that Jesus was tempted to have sex outside of marriage, but he didn't sin. Do you know that Jesus was tempted to murder somebody, but he didn't sin? Even things that we may not even imagine that would be disgusting. Hurting a child, abusing the elderly. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are, but he did not sin. Every sin the devil could think of was thrown towards Jesus as a suggestion, a temptation. Every one. He did not hold back. And Jesus did not give in to any. Let us. Are you tempted down here? Does the flesh tempt you here on earth? Your own flesh? 
Because your flesh is different than my flesh, right? We all have our own temptations. Don't we all inwardly have our own temptations? There's people here who are attracted to the same sex. That's your own temptation. I don't have that, but there's some of you who do. There are some of you that are tempted to murder, tempted to murder. Other of us are not. Some of you are tempted to steal. Some of us are not. All of us have our own temptations. Jesus had every one, yet he didn't sin. So what are we to do in our temptation? Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need so that we don't sin, so that we can live holy like how God made us holy. I can go to the perfect son of God and go, God, I'm getting tempted. And he could go, I know what that feels like, Joe. But I know what it's like to resist it and live holy. Here's my gift of righteousness. Make an exchange. Your temptation can lead to a confession that can get you righteousness. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, righteousness is already intrinsic, intrinsic in us when we're born again. But every time we need to choose the right thing, we need an impartation of righteousness, wisdom. How do I choose this right decision? Well, every time I'm tempted, if I come to Jesus and say, I don't know how to do this, Jesus, but you knew how to do it when you walked the earth. Help me. He'll give me a way of escape. The throne of grace, that place of blood sacrifice, not only forgives me of sin, it keeps me from sin can I show you one more scripture before we roll out of here can you give me as much time as you would give the Cubs or the White Sox can I ask just for that turn with me quickly to this passage I haven't noted it in our notes I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10 13 in closing Ben would you come please 1 Corinthians 10 13 how many believe Jesus wants you to stay away from sin and live holy how many know those sin is pleasurable? It always ends in death. How many, let me ask you this while we're turning to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. How many of you have gotten tired of sin? Has anybody here gotten tired of sin? Like you're just like, man, I'm done with sin. I know I have. Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of the, the, the condemnation, the guilt that it brings? Aren't you tired of where it leads you to? How many know that sin brings death every time, even if you don't see it? Aren't you tired of that? Well, how many know there's a way of escape through Jesus? Look at what Jesus said. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. How many have ever heard that before? God will never give you more than you can bear. How many know... Or let me ask you this, maybe you don't know, but did you know, let me say it like this, did you know that wasn't just about your problems? That was really about temptation to sin. Of course, in problems too, God's not going to give you more than they can bear, but I hardly ever hear anybody use that scripture in the right way. So somebody will be, uh, you know, uh, prayer workers, would you come please? Somebody will have like lost their loved one or something, and they'll say, God won't give me more than I can bear. Have you ever heard it like that before, any of you? No? No one's ever heard that before. How many have ever heard the statement, in a time of sorrow, somebody will say, God won't give me more than I can bear. How many of you have heard that before? I just want to know, raise of hand. I want to talk to like three or four. Okay, there's more of you. Okay. That is not the proper interpretation of this. There are other scriptures that speak to you making it through hardships. One of them would be this, no weapon formed against you will prosper. 
Another one is this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Another one is you're more than a conqueror. But the scripture of God won't give you more than you can bear, it is in the context of temptation. So when was the last time, those of you who rose your, raised your hand, you ever heard people saying it as, you know what, I'm, in, I'm dealing with this sin, but God won't give me more than I can bear. I can live holy and, and righteous. See, I don't hear people saying it that way. You know why? Because they make excuses to sin. God understands. God knows what I'm dealing with. God wouldn't expect me to be holy. He knows that no one's perfect. But that's not what the throne of grace is there for. The throne of grace is not there just so you can keep on sinning. The throne of grace is so that sinners can live as saints. If you want to live as a saint, the throne of grace is your place to be. And what happens if Christians sin? They get forgiveness. But they don't keep making excuses to live in it. Have I, have I sinned since being a Christian? Yes. But have I made an excuse to live in my sin? No. How many excuses do you think I could give my wife and have a girlfriend? Have a girlfriend, have my wife. How many excuses do you think I can give her before she says, I don't believe you? I don't believe you. One law, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to lie in church, but I have to say this in closing. Hebrews 10, 26. Can you all stand with me? I really want you to see this as we get going. Shake your leg, stretch out. Give your neighbor a shoulder rub. Come on, tell them to hang in there. I want to show you this before we go. Can I show them this, man? You ain't mad, bro, are you? No, you ain't mad. Can I just say this real quick for everybody in here? I got to put my man Edgar on the spot. Edgar, I want you to talk to... Uh, your name, don't say it, I know it, Steve, before you go. Edgar, Steve, Steve, Edgar, hang out, okay? Because you know what he's doing? And I'm not saying you're in this, but I'm just saying he's been reaching out to the gangs lately, and I want some of you young guys, I want you guys to talk to him. And I'm not saying anything about Edgar. I don't want to get the wrong, like Edgar in the gang. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying I want you young guys, but especially Edgar, because I, I, told, I told him about you Saturday. I said I met him. I want him to know what you're doing with young people because I think Edgar wants to go out there with you to make a difference. How many of you are tired of seeing young people waste their lives? How about you guys? Don't you want to go out there with them? Don't you want to go too? Now watch this. Look at what Hebrews says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more, please highlight verse 29. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and has insulted the Spirit of grace? How long do you think a guy can be in the gang wearing the wrong colors? Not too long, right? I just got to talk to you just for a minute. You know what, man? Come on, bro. I got to get this fan on us because we are hot up in this place. You were once in a gang, right? Yes. We don't have to talk about the gang, but did your gang have a color? Yes. Okay. Now, let's say I was in your gang, but I kept wearing the other gang's color. Like I showed up to your house. Let's say your gang, I don't want anybody to get personal here. Let's say your gang wore a red color. And I came to your house wearing blue. How long do you think I could do that before something would happen to me? Not too long. Right? How many know that wouldn't last very long? Okay, let's get, 
uh, Carol to come up here in your nice, beautiful summer dress. Let's give it up for Carol. Come on. You're going to be my next person I interview. That's your boyfriend right there. Yes. You guys love each other. Yes. How long do you think he could have another girlfriend before you get upset and want to break up? No chance. No chance. Right, let's give it up for Carol. Come on. Come on up here, my brother. How many know race reconciliation starts in the church? How many believe that the church has the answer to race reconciliation? The world's trying to pit you and I against each other, aren't they? That there's something against you and I because of the color of our skin, but that's not true, is it? Look, let's give it up. See, this is race reconciliation right here, right? But how long do you think we would be friends if I had a KKK flag or a Confederate flag or something like that hanging in my front yard? How long do you think we'd be friends? Probably wouldn't be friends. Wouldn't be friends very long, right? So you come over to my house, and I'm like, man, come on over. I'll look, and you see a big KK flag. That's going to be a problem, right? Big problem. It's a big problem. Now, for me, the Confederate flag, to me, is treason against our country. Those guys raised up arms against us to keep people in, enslaved, right? I don't think it should be on any government building, just to know my opinion. But I've been using this example for a while, before ever this became the example. Some of you in my youth group, you remember I would do this. Why? Because if I have a belief that hates his race, him and I cannot be cool. It, and thank you, my brother. If I have another color and his gang is the opposite color, we can't be cool. If, if your boyfriend has another girlfriend, y'all can't be cool. This is intrinsic, natural inside of all of us. And God says, if you keep wanting sin, but you don't want me, you don't get a sacrifice for that. So some of us treat God's blood like a rag, but not a clean rag, but a dirty rag. You know, Brian works, and some of us work with our hands, but not as much as Brian. you got to look at Brian's hand and look at my hands, and you'll see which one's a man, right? My hands are soft hands, and you have some very nice soft hands. As a matter of fact, you're going to become a professional massage therapist. These are beautiful hands. These are dainty hands. Brian, just come put your hands next to this man's hands, and let's just get an illustration here of a man's hand to a gentle hand. Look at this. You don't got so many calluses. You know I need... Oh, you got, <laughs> yeah, you got yourself beat up. I mean, uh, tore up. Thank you. Watch this. We got rags like this in our house, right? But in, the, in my garage, and they're dirty. Get done mowing the lawn, some grease got somewhere, I'll wipe it off with this. I'm all sweaty and hot. I got mud on me and stuff. I wipe it off like this, right? But do I wipe my baby with this? Look what the Bible says. You have trampled underfoot the Son of God and have treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. Jesus hasn't died on the cross just so you can wipe your dirty hands and go sin again and go wipe your dirty hands and go sin again and then literally just go, this is what I think about the blood. This is what I think about the blood. I just trample on it. I just trample underfoot the Son of God. Oh, yeah, he died on the cross, but it don't matter. It don't matter. I'll just get forgiveness. No, the Bible says you don't get forgiveness. You have a punishment coming your way. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Please go back to the notes. Let's end this on a good note. Here it is. Are you all ready to leave out this place with the Holy Ghost and fire? You about ready to leave holy? Okay, let's leave holy. Here we go. Scroll way down, please. Here it is, all the way down. All the way, that's all next week. That's all next week. Hey, right here, right here. Here we go. Scroll, here we go. The choice is yours. You can either come now to the throne of grace and find mercy and forgiveness to live a holy life, to live holy, 
Or you can choose to live in rebellion towards God and one day face the throne of judgment. Let's pray. Father, every head bowed and eyes closed. Show us who we are right now on the inside. Come on, would you take 30 seconds to examine your heart? Are you living holy or are you not? Are you saved or are you not? Which one are you? Here's the good news. If you came here today and you're not living holy, God wants to forgive you. Today you can come to the throne of grace. And you can't use the excuse, oh, I can't live for God, I can't live for God. Because remember, God will change you so you can. But who are you? Are you saved or are you lost? Holy or unholy? Are you at the throne of grace or is God going to have to bring you to the throne of judgment? You might want to know the difference because your whole eternity depends on it. Fifteen more seconds. Which one are you? Son of the devil or a son of God? Who is your father? God or the devil? Who are you living like today? Who are you believing? Is the word of God hidden in your heart or do you have no room for it because you believe the lies of the devil? Who are you? Where are you going when you die? How do you live your life? Now with that in your heart, I want to ask, if you have not been living for God, would you ask him to forgive you right now? Believe in him and be saved. You don't have to come up. You don't need to be embarrassed. No, just right where you're at. Would you please, I'm begging you, for your sake, would you repent of your sins? Would you make that decision? And for those of you who would say, yeah, I'm living holy, I'm born again, would you guard your heart right now? Ask the Lord to show you if there's any pitfalls in your life, any areas that you could, you could uh, fall into. Because the Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Just make sure you're doing the right thing. Because I've watched people start off well and end bad. My friend as a pastor just had an affair. I was talking to my brother Edgar the other day about a pastor in jail for having six sex with a 16-year-old girl. You see, even pastors can go bad. So if you're saved, make sure you don't get cocky and prideful. Ask God to show you, are there any pitfalls you could fall into? And if you're not saved, say, Lord, save me. So none of us leave out of here ignorant of good and evil. None of us leave out of here thinking we're going to be all right if we do it our own way. Let us leave out of here as the book of Revelation ends to complete what Adam and Eve lost in the book of Genesis. As Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3, at the end of the book, we're brought back into the kingdom of God. Those who have chosen Christ here, I ask you to be those people. Live for Jesus. And one day, you will be with him in his kingdom forever. 30 more seconds just for you to let that sink in. Rachel, would you sing something just before we go? 30 seconds, just real briefly. Thank you for your patience. I just want to make sure you get it all today. It's not just about a preacher. Come on, it's not just me. It's what God is saying and speaking. one more time before we go amazing grace amazing grace how sweet 
Would you put up the words? Maybe someone doesn't know it, please. The wretch like me. going to sing the last part for 10,000 years if we were there. But before we do, if you need prayer, would you just come right now? Just come from your seat. If you need prayer for Jesus, if you need prayer for forgiveness, if you need prayer for anything in your life, as you put up those words, would you just come and let somebody pray for you? Take it from the top and then we'll sing for, for their 10,000 years. Come on. Amazing grace. As somebody comes, anybody, come for prayer right now. How sweet. Jose, find it online if you can't find the slide, please. Come on up for prayer. Don't be embarrassed. Whoever you are, just come. Just come quickly. Come on, don't leave without getting prayer today. We've all had to come and get prayer before. But now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years, when we've been there time. If you need prayer, just come on up. Even if someone's already praying, come up. God is in this place. They're praying. We're going to sing this part. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears really. How precious. How precious did that grace appear. The Many dangers, toils, and snares through man. one more hand clap of praise before we roll out amen come on god is good slap your neighbor high five and say it's all about the grace 
Would you guys have a great week? Pass along that grace. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you still need prayer, come on. We're going to keep singing that song, so leave up the words. Come on, when we've been there 10,000 years. When we Edgar, come on down and meet my brother. Thank you. Bright shine.